so I get to follow the super cool. And uh, the guy who came out of the bedroom and Sue looked at me and said, you look like you work for the DNR. <laughs> and uh, you can ask her, she said that. And uh, I thought, well, that's good. When's the last time you heard good news from the DNR? <laughs> so with all apologies, if you work for them. Um, The, the passage we're going to be in this morning is Luke 18. Uh, this is a wonderful part of the book of Luke. A lot of people coming to Jesus, and in the passage we're in today, we find that uh, the same thing. Those who are coming to Jesus, seeking to find a way to him, find a way to God, and I think we'll learn some valuable uh, truth here. I'd ask you, if you have your Bibles, to have them open. Um, that's for your own protection and your own benefit. It, Having your Bible open is like wearing 3D glasses in a 3D movie. If you don't have the Bible open, it's some, you'll, you'll get the gist, but you won't get the detail. And if you have your Bible open, too, it will protect you. Um, sometimes the person behind the, the desk speaking doesn't stay to the text. And if I look down and I see people with their Bibles open, it's going to remind me constantly, stay on, stay on task, stay what's in there. I'm going to read the passage, uh, Luke 18. I'm going to uh, stop at verse 23, and then we'll spend a little time in prayer, and then we'll get going. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the man who went down from this, this man went down from to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God is like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept for my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, Distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Let's pray. First and foremost, uh, Father, this morning we thank you for the good report on how you move and work within our body here, the church, uh, to minister to those who are in need. We thank you for willing hearts. 
We thank you that your generous provision for us is, is always before us. We thank you also for the provision of your word. We thank you that there is within it the wealth that we need to live our lives in a way that would please you so that we could have assurance of your love, of your care. But we do come this morning, Lord, also with a heavy heart. We know there are those among us who are carrying heavy burdens. We especially think this morning of the Lauer family, the loss of their son. And, uh, Lord, we can only plead out for your mercy and in such a way that you would demonstrate yourself to be strong. We think also of those who are in Kansas City right now with a broken-down vehicle, those of our body, and their obligations that need to be met, they need to be home. Um, Lord, we'd ask that you'd provide for them and bring them home the rest of the way safely. Finally, uh, this morning I ask for your... Uh, your mercy and your grace, that you would keep a guard on my thoughts and my words, that I would speak only those things which would bring you praise and honor. And we ask it all for you, Jesus. Amen. Finding our way. Um, I don't think it's, I I think it's uh, important for us to understand that we're not alone in our pursuit of wanting to have a closer relationship with God. Um, regardless of where you are in your walk with the Lord. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, it, it, there's something that burns within you. You want to be closer yet. And there are some maybe here today who've been Christians for quite some time, and yet you feel an estrangement in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. You know, I'm just not as close as I used to be, or as, I'm not as close as I would like to be. And some who perhaps have... Um, profess faith in Christ, and yet it's just never sunk in, it's never driven hard to where you can say, you know, I'd like to be able to draw closer to God, but frankly, I just don't know how to do it. And still others may be seeking, and you're saying, you know, I I, I don't know that I, I don't know where I'm at in this, but if it is possible to draw close to, close to God, I'd like to. Well, there is in each one of us, seemingly, that we're we're wanting to find our way, but there's also his way. And I'm reminded of what Dan Youngstrand says all the time, it's God's way. So this morning, what we're going to see is that there are four who come seeking to be in right relationship with God. Two are rejected and two are received. And sometimes we get the impression that God's kind of like a grandpa. And uh, I look down there and see David Lockstead, and him and I have a crush on the same little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. Uh, our granddaughter, Briley, and he probably does better than I do, but uh, uh, Briley can't do anything wrong with me. It doesn't matter. Whatever she does, I want to shower her with gifts. And um, and I think at times we, we view God as kind of like that grandpa instead of maybe what we should remember is that Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices, and one was rejected and one was received. Uh, Much like Lord Admiral Nelson, who was the British commander, after he had conquered his foe, his foe stepped onto the deck of the ship and extended his hand, as if to say, you won. And Admiral Nelson looked at him and said, first your sword, then your hand. 
God is God. And for us to think for some reason that we can just walk into him and just say, well, here I am. Here I am, Father. Uh, I'm expecting now for you to respond to me with all good or whatever the case may be. Well, the four that are in this passage are the Pharisee and the rich young ruler. I'm going to take those two first because they're the ones who are rejected, and then there are the two that are received, and that is uh, the tax collector and the children. Right away, we see with the Pharisee in verses 9 through 12 that the Pharisee came and he was, he was attempting, as it were, he was trusting in himself, trusting in his own righteousness. He speaks up and says, well, I do this, I do this, I do the other thing. I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a murderer, I don't, I give my tithes. Um, I do everything as I'm supposed to. The doing, the, the boxes are checked. And yet we're told in verse 14 that he was not the one who left justified. There's a thinking within himself that he was right with God by the fact of what he was doing. And this morning it is the same truth today as it was back then. This is a dead-end street. And perhaps any one of us could find ourselves there this morning thinking that if I could just do the right things if I could just keep the law of God, if I could just bring myself and be like this Pharisee where I was doing everything the way I was supposed to be doing it, that somehow I could come to God. This is not unique for someone who is, uh, shall I say, this is not uh, unusual for everyone to at some level deal with this. Even if you've been a Christian for many years, we may find that You know, I know what I need to do to have a closer relationship with the Lord. I need to do my devotions. I need to have my prayer time. Maybe I fast once in a while. Perhaps even I go on a missions trip. And that's not in any way to denigrate what we just heard about. But if you went on a missions trip, thinking that somehow that's going to draw me closer to God, you're trusting in your own effort. And we're told here it doesn't work. It does not work. The Pharisee had convinced himself that he was right with God on the basis of what he was doing. The rich young ruler comes, so, and so what we see there is that, it, and it's uh, Colossians three six or two sixteen or Galatians two sixteen. Sorry, that not by works of the law will anyone be justified. It's just not. It's not the way God operates. The rich young ruler comes in verses 18 through 23. He bows down says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns to him and says, you know the commands. And then he proceeds to tell him, are you keeping command 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9? You can, for your homework, you can look that up. Um, and the Pharisee says, I'm, done. I'm doing the law. I'm doing the rules. What else do I need to do? And you say, well, Chuck, this is really interesting. You just got done telling us that we can't be justified by the works of the law. And now Jesus turns around and says to the rich young ruler, are you doing the law? Why would he do that? If you can't be justified by the law, why does Jesus bring up the law? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One, it was to reveal that his trust being in the law, but he was not keeping the law. 
We're told that the rich young ruler turned around and he left. Why? Because he was unwilling to deny himself. And in this unwillingness to deny himself, he was proving that he was breaking the first three commands. What's the first command? There shall have no other gods before me. Did he have another god? Sure he did. Did he bow the second command? You shall not bow down and worship idols. Did he have an idol? Yeah, he did. He was in that sorry predicament of being possessed by his possessions. And the third command, he committed blasphemy. You say, well, how did he commit blasphemy? He bowed down before the Lord Jesus and said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay, do this. No, I won't do that. We're reminded in the gospel how many times Jesus said, he goes, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? It's the worst kind of blasphemy. It's the worst kind of blasphemy to bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll obey your word and to walk out the door and not do it. I'm not trying to be hard because I know it's just as hard on me. And how often I find I'm like the rich young ruler. Oh yeah, Lord, I love you. I bow down before you. I sing songs. I do everything. And then I read a clear command of scripture or someone who is irritating towards me. I don't forgive them. And those words come, why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? No, the rich young ruler was not keeping the law. And I think there's a second reason here, and it's maybe a little more subtle, but I think it's to demonstrate once again that if you're putting your trust in your effort, it's futile. For we saw that the Pharisee was coming, and he thought he was worthy by the works of his law, or works of the law, and it says that he was treating others with contempt. Self-righteous. I'm doing this. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And God is with me, and he's mine, and I, you know. Meanwhile, the rich young ruler comes and says he's doing a lot too, but what's his problem? He still wants to know how to inherit eternal life. Well, why is, why is that? If you can inherit eternal life by doing the law, why is he asking what does he need to do to inherit eternal life? He's got it, right? No, he knows he doesn't. If you're attempting to reach out and come close to God by works, you will end up in one of these two areas. You either treat others with contempt because of your self-righteousness, or you'll be keeping the law in your head. It's going to hit the pillow every night. You know what you're going to know? I don't have it. You're not supposed to know you have it. There's good news. And the good news is, is that finding our way does not get us there, but his way does. So what is his way? We see that there are the other two, the ones that are received, the two rejected, the two received, the tax collector. The tax collector, as it were, walks into the room to pray, and it's if he can't get through the threshold of the door and he's already on his face, crying out for mercy. Be merciful to me, Lord, the sinner. I like how it's put, I think it was in the NAS, New American Standard. Not just mercy to me, a sinner, mercy to me, the sinner. 
or he understands that he's just not part of some big conglomerate group. It's me. I'm a sinner. And he beats his chest and he cries out for mercy. Jesus says, this is the man who left justified, went to his house justified. Now, justify is a theological term, and um, it could be just defined in theological manner. But I, I grew up, I'm dating myself, and I look around and I see i got other people out here with gray hair, so you know what I'm talking about. Typewriters, these big, heavy metal, you could kill someone with these things. They were... Or a boat anchor or whatever. It was just good for a boat anchor for me as it was to try to type. I, I consoled myself in saying, you know, I think I would have been a straight-A student if I would have had a modern computer because I was such a bad typer. I mean, I was bad, bad. Um, I needed a bottle of whiteout for each page. And if you don't know what whiteout is, there's more homework for you. You can <laughs> Google whiteout. But um, what does that have to do with anything? Um, you had this arm, and you'd push the arm, and then the carriage would shift over. And where I grew up in New York, I grew up in New York, that was called justified. You justified your page. Now it's called, you know, on the computer, center aligned, left aligned, right aligned. The words would line up properly on the edge. Justified. It was the tax collector who left properly aligned with God. Isn't that amazing? What did he do? What work did he perform? What effort did he exert? None. He came before his heavenly father and said, You know what? I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of mercy. You want to break down the walls of your life and your relationship with Christ? When was the last time you sat down and dealt with your sin? Sadly, I think in our modern day, we like to sin retail and we like to confess wholesale. We commit any number of sins where we get angry. We look with lust. We say things we shouldn't say, do things we shouldn't do, and then when it comes time and we're kind of convicted, we say, oh, Lord, will you just please forgive me? We just lump it all up in some disgusting ball and throw it onto his side of the court, thinking somehow we've dealt with our sin. When, in fact, we read in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 51, 1 and 2, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. When was the last time? It used to be called when I was growing up. I grew up in a Christian home. It was called keeping short accounts with God. Making sure that when you knew something was wrong that you went to him right away and said, Lord, I did it again. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, this one was accepted. He went to his house justified. It is possible for you this morning, do you realize this, that you can walk out of here and get in your car justified? Today, you can be properly aligned with God before you even leave the building. That's awesome. The mercy of God. 
Then we see the children. And um, uh, children are chaos. We know that. Um, And can you imagine, here's Jesus. He's dealing with all that's going on. And there's kids just coming. And and the word here is infants. It's, It's the idea of infants, toddlers, real little ones, like I even see over there. And the disciples are a little disgusted and say, you know, we were having some pretty deep theological discussions here, and now it's being interrupted by all these kids. And right on cue, (laughs) sermon illustrations, they're so valuable. So, that's okay, we've got time. Jesus says, uh, let, let him come to me. And, it, and it's almost like he stops the action and says, oh, by the way, as long as they're coming to me, this is a good time to say something. Unless you come to me like a child does, you're not getting into the kingdom. Now, it wasn't that long ago that, uh, now this, this may seem like a non sequitur as I start off, but I hopefully I can prove the point. It wasn't that long ago there was a trip to Mars where our rovers went up. Remember, they had this little scoop, and they scooped up dirt and rocks because we, we wanted to find out what, these, what Mars was made out of. And the reason we're up there looking, scooping rocks and dirt in Mars is because we had been looking through telescopes for years, and you, know, you can just see these nerdy guys in the back room saying, well, I don't know, it looks like rocks and dirt. Well, I can't, it's got to be more than just rocks and dirt. And, and of course, their, their curiosity and their drive, we just got to get to Mars and figure out what's up there. And the rover goes and scoops it up and finds out it's, it's rocks and dirt. So, such is the drive, right, of man. And we sit here this morning in our church, and we read this where Christ says, unless you come to me like a little child, you're not getting in. And we go, well, that's nice. That's Jesus, obviously. That's interesting. He, it's obvious Jesus really likes kids. No, um, if we have enough curiosity to say, what's on Mars, we would think we would say, wait a minute, I want to get in. I want to go to heaven. Did Jesus really mean this? I have to be like a little child? Or I don't get in? Yes, uh, he does. Now, that should cause us to ask the question, I, I want to know what it's like, to, what, what does he mean be like a little child? Understand this, you're, I, I, I manage a golf course, okay? I mow grass, so I'm not the theological answer man or anything along that line, so be patient with me. But I, I think I have a good idea what he's talking about. And I'll use an illustration. And Chrissy, I apologize ahead of time, you're the illustration. And she's shaking her head no. I could use her sister, but uh, I, I didn't think that would be fair. Chrissy was our third born. She was born, I can distinctly remember, we were in Sydney, New York, and the doctor delivered her. And most times the doctor hands the baby to the nurse, the nurse takes her over to the table, and the whole, uh, the doctor didn't hand the baby off. Instead, the doctor took the baby over to the table, 
And then a nurse went over, and then another nurse. And I can't remember whether or not a third nurse was with Sue or not, but basically the attention was off of my wife, and it was definitely on the baby. And right away, you, something's not right. And, they, and then they said, well, I'm sorry, but there's, something is not right. What basically it was is her leg was hinged the wrong direction so that she'd extend her leg, and it would come up and kick her in the head. And uh, so we, we had long discussions with doctors, and, make a long, and they, they gave us, of course, the, the good with the bad. And we understood that there was a possibility she'd have trouble her whole life, or she'd have to have a fused leg. And, um, well, to give you the ending of it, we ended up going to a specialist three weeks later, and he was sitting there like this, and he, had, he said, well, let me show you. This, this is the x-ray when she was born, and this is the x-ray today. Today's x-ray, she's got a kneecap. When she was born, she didn't. It must be it was tucked in behind her something, he said. And we said, no, I, we, we know what took place. But that's not the reason I bring it up. We, we understood what was going on. And it was that Chrissy was totally helpless to do anything about her predicament. Nothing. This little infant baby, what could she do? She couldn't fix herself. She was dependent on us. The decisions that Sue and I were going to make for her could impact her for the rest of her life, and she's just this little thing. You want to come to Christ? You want to have an intimacy with him? Helpless and dependent. You're not going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Ultimately, what's being talked about here is the need for the cross. The need for the fact we need God to do something for us. And thankfully, he did. God bridged the gap that we couldn't. Our cries for mercy, our confession of sin, is all we had to bring. I let Miles, I let Judy know that I was going to call an audible here. I'm going to pray to close, and then um, you can just stay seated. But I, I have a I have a video, a song. It's by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir that's been so precious to me. And uh, after, after it's, uh, so I'll pray, we'll have the video, and upon its completion, you will be dismissed, okay? Father in heaven, um, thank you. I thank you that you don't look at what we do. But instead, you look at what Christ has done for us. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing unto you, O God, our Savior, our Redeemer. Bless each one, I pray, in this room as we depart. And may the name of Jesus be glorified. Amen.